Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. New VanCast. The day after, the Vancouver Canucks pushed their win streak to three. They won four of five. Thatcher Demko has been the goaltender of record in the four victories. Tom, uh, our timing is perfect because uh, with three a week now, we said last week that uh, we're going to be able to get some more guests onto the podcast. And really, this is going to be a Thatcher Demko appreciation pod, I think. Because uh, Kevin Whitley from In Goal Magazine is going to join us here in a couple of minutes. Uh, we can sit back and, and marvel at what Demko is doing here, but uh, Kev is the guy to drill down. And so I'm excited to get him and his thoughts uh, about Demko and what he's doing because uh, another remarkable Thatcher Demko performance last night against Montreal. Well, and the best part, and I'm curious to hear Kevin talk about this, but one of the best parts about Thatcher Demko's performance against the Montreal Canadiens, in which, make no mistake, he stole a win for the Canucks, is that I don't think Kevin thought he was on. <laughs> so we'll get him to go into that. But I think Demko, I don't think Demko was on from, you know, the goalie whisperer's point of view. And, and we'll, we'll unpack that um, when we get Kevin on shortly. But man, you know, he, there's like a famous Joe P- Posnanski line. Joe Posnanski is an athletic colleague, but one of the great baseball writers in the United States. And his line is about baseball being boring, right? And he says, baseball is boring until it's not. Um, And that's the magic of it. Like, the magic of baseball is that it can be background noise, and then all of a sudden something insane happens, right? And you're just like, wow, unreal. Like, that's what baseball's about. Hockey's not supposed to be like that. Hockey's not supposed to be dull until it's not. And last night, for 59 minutes, like, that game was bad product. I, I, like, I have a crazy appetite to watch NHL hockey. Like, I, I watched 68 games in 55 <laughs> days. You know what I mean? Like, I, I spend a lot of time watching hockey. I have an endless appetite. I'm a glutton. I can consume an insane amount of it. That game was no good. Like, no good. Just not fun. Not interesting. Uh, no feeling. Limited scoring chances. A five-on-three in which neither team gets a shot. And then Adam Gaudet pulls off, like, a crazy, crazy goal. Right, just like an absolutely beautiful howitzer one timer beats Carey Price off two posts, just perfect, pitch perfect, an exciting highlight to punctuate what was a brutal game. And then it goes to three on three, and three on three honestly wasn't that great, but there was a tremendous like Brock Besser willfully plowing through the Canadians' defense, like you know Maximus in the arena. And then JT Miller sort of going on a mission late, and then the Canucks went in a shootout that only features one goal. And at the end, everyone's like, this exciting team has won four of five. And I'm just like, that sucked. Everything about that sucked. Everything. Everything about it was bad. And, and like, I just feel like this team at this point serves to obscure truth. Like, it's like they cannot be seen clearly. And so we have this February where the Canucks play really well and lose, like, the worst month in franchise history. And they're playing well for almost all of it, aside from the first – Two games, three games. And now we're in this stretch 
where the Canucks have won four or five, and yet they've controlled 41% of expected goals at five on five. Like, they haven't been good. They've been the worst team most nights. But Thatcher Demko over a personal four-game win streak, a 9-6-9 save percentage. He's allowed four goals against in his last four games right. while facing 10 expected goals. Like, he's outperformed his expected goals by by six over a four-game sample. No, I know. And like, like, you know, it's hard to explain just how dramatic that is, but but consider this. The lead leaguer, lead, well, the league leader, the league leader in expected goals prevented by, by natural stat trick, by the same site that tells me that Thatcher Demko has stopped six goals better than expected over four games. The league leader to this point in the season is Andre Vasilevsky with 13, 13 and a half. Like, you know, Demko's equaled half of that in a week. Like, it's nuts. It's completely insane what he's doing. And, you know, it is making this team even harder to keep a narrow focus on, like to, to see with clarity. Which, again, is perfect timing to get Kevin on here, and we'll get to him in a, in a few minutes here. But, look, you, you ran through the game sort of in totality. I want to break it down quickly uh, by a couple of points. Oh, the, please. Do we have to? Yeah, I, I have to have my say here. Come on. <laughs> that five-on-three was puke-inducing. Like, honestly. Oh, my the God. The five-on-three, I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I, it's hard to explain. And I did. I joked on Twitter, but I went back and I watched it in the first intermission stupid me because it was worse the second time around than the first but Horvat up top everybody else just anchored to their spot on the ice and nobody could handle the puck properly like there was no movement whatsoever like it's incredible like when teams do it right they make five on three look so easy right like so easy mm. and that was the opposite of that like shame shame on the group of Canucks that were on the ice in that situation because that was dreadful. Like in the annals, in the annals of <laughs> hockey history, I think, and they didn't get scored on three on five, but in the annals of hockey history, where a five on three has at least tread water, like I would think that was like right down there with the worst ever, all time. It was that bad. I, I mean, there was a couple times during the game where Farhan would look over at me and be like, "Are you still doing this Mike Gillis thing?" <laughs> Are you still doing this Mike Gillis thing? And I was like, well, what else am I going to do? Like, what else What else do you want me to tweet about, man? You know, like, there's not a lot to unpack here. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, look, I, I just, it's important not to lose focus of just, just how blah that game was. Like, that game was so blah. And then, and then Godet was, that was an incredible goal. And Godet's had it coming for a while. And I, and I want to note something here, too. I, I still think that Godet has a real chance to be a player and not like the thing I like about Godet when I evaluate players is I sometimes think about like, what's his floor, right? Like what's the worst case scenario, um, you know, based on what I think of his skill set. And for me, I think Godet's worst case scenario is in, you know, his late twenties, he's going to be Sam Gagne, right? With a higher work rate. And it's like, I have time for that on my fourth line all day, especially if it's affordable. Like, all day. That's a piece that can help you win. Um, if your worst case scenario is a piece that can help you win, I've always got time for you. And, and I've got time to see you go through, you know, a snake bit stretch, which he clearly has. Um, his work rate hasn't faded. He's, he's kept passing the eye test. 
I thought it looked like he was coming against Toronto. And then I sort of checked the underlying numbers and didn't think that game or that line had had a particularly good game. I'm talking about game two. But in terms of the things he does on the ice, in terms of the plays he's making, in terms of just productive touches and smart sequences, like I do think it's been coming for Gaudette for a bit. Clearly, he's had a ton of chances and just been foiled. Uh, nice to see him get a goal and not just a goal, but a really, really nice goal. Like there's no way you wake up today not feeling good about yourself after that one. And we'll see if that carries over. But I think that was also the product of a guy who's been playing a lot better than the statistical track record. And honestly, even the underlying numbers would make it seem for a, a pretty extended stretch here. Like I'd say like 17 days in which I think his forms really rebounded. And, you know, at the end of the day, you can't help but be happy to see, um, you know, a guy like that who's performing like that get, you know, not the bounce because that was a hell of a shot, but but get the break that they've been due for an awful long time. Yeah, I mean, it looked to me like a season's worth of frustrations unleashed on Carey Price there in the dying seconds. And, you know, it, <laughs> it wasn't quite Elias Pettersson with the rage fuel goal against Columbus last year, but uh, there was a sense of some rage fuel uh, propelling that puck off the post and in. And it's funny to think that, you know, Gaudet's out there in the final minute, maybe because Pedersen's not even in the lineup, right? Like, so mm-hmm. you take advantage of your opportunities. And he had that chance in the second period, too. He was set up by Miller. He had the Miller wraparound that deflected off his skate and went just wide. So, uh, you know, it's it's too bad it came to be in a healthy scratch for a couple of games, but it does seem like there's been way more purpose like, it feels like that message got through to Adam Gaudet, and he has been a much better player uh, since it got to that low point for him. Two other things I just want to touch on briefly here. Um, I got no time for Brock Besser with Brandon Sutter. Like, honestly, I was kind of freaking out as I was watching. And I get that Travis Green is, they're getting shut out. They're not playing well. He's searching for something, but the something can't be your leading goal scorer with the one assist center. So I, I don't want to see that anymore. Uh, I'm sure Rock Besser doesn't want to see that anymore. I didn't like when it got to that. Uh, and then... <laughs> J-Pat, sorry. Can I just intervene yes. quickly? We, it's like, because we're now on back-to-back pods, and these are not the first two pods that we've been like, I don't want to see that. <laughs> and it's Brandon Sutter with a skilled guy. On. It's like, <laughs> we should play a game. We should play a game. I mean, we wouldn't do this, because I think we both have regard for the person. Right, right? absolutely. I've it's almost that. like yeah. It's almost like we should play a game. That's like, who do you want to see Brandon Sutter play with? Because we're often just like, no, no, pass on that. Please, don't want to see that. Um, I feel like we got to play the opposite game at some point. So The other thing was, and you mentioned the Besser sequence in overtime. Like This is what I love about Brock Besser now. He wasn't content getting the puck to the net. It goes behind the net. He goes and he gets it and he brings it back out. And Carey Price had to sprawl to make the save on the backhand. Like That was probably Price's best save of the hockey game. And Besser just, <laughs> like, there was no quit in that moment in Brock Besser. But overall, no. like, I, I've got all time for five on or for three on three overtime if it's five minutes of trading chances and back and forth. But whatever we saw there last night, regrouping and the Habs basically just trying to keep Quinn Hughes on the ice. Like, and that's fine. Like, <laughs> no. If that's the strategy, that's fine. But you know, the strategy has to be taken a step further of you wear a guy down so that you can pounce on your opportunity. And they never did. They just wanted to play. It was almost like they were having a, a little game internally of how long can we keep Quinn Hughes out here? Uh, it turned out he got off the ice once, but 
four minutes and two seconds of the five-minute overtime for Quinn Hughes, that after a 12-minute and eight-second third period. So he was up over 30 minutes last night, <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's, I think it was a new career high for, for Quinn Hughes. But overtime was a dud, honestly. Like, overtime was a dud. Uh, I, I don't want the regrouping in the neutral zone. Like, I I, I don't know. Like, you were there in person. No, you're I don't right. know if it looked any different, but honestly, like I, it did I, not. Swear, I swear 80% <laughs> I of I swear eighty percent of that overtime was spent between the blue lines, one team or the other, just collecting the puck and setting up again so that they could, you know, start to advance, but they never really did advance. The Canucks had, I think, the better opportunities in overtime, but nothing done there. Anyways, uh, they win it in a shootout, and that's three in a row. They'll try to make it four straight, five of six with the rematch against Montreal. So uh, enough about the game, because I do want to get into Thatcher Demko and the things that he's doing here and the way that he has... The real game. Yes. It's the real show in town. Thatcher Demko. Okay, before we get to Kev here, though, (laughs) I have to ask you this important question. Uh, Yeah. Despite the wins here... Yes. Where do we stack up with the Canucks mounting any kind of ultimate comeback through all of this? What what the other day they had doubled their playoff hopes from three to six percent. What did another win do yeah. for them? Put it thirty three percent higher, or or yeah, thirty three percent. I mean, they added they added another half. They added another fifty percent growth, so uh, <laughs> up to nine percent, nine percent. So you know, this is one of those things where it's like your playoff odds can fall precipitously during a losing streak, and after that's happened, it takes a while for the playoff odds to increase. Right? Like you, you look at Montreal, they've got a six hundred point per game stretch that's the team that the Canucks are trailing they pick up one point last night not two one and Montreal still has five games in hand so you know the standings make it look like the Canucks are three back in Montreal but when you factor in Montreal's point percentage to this point and those five games it's more like nine points and you know theoretical points I mean granted Montreal does have to do something with those five games but um you know it's still a steep climb here and you know it's worth noting too like Canucks probably need to do something like six of their next nine, six of their next nine, just to put themselves in a position to, at any point this season, play a meaningful game. Um, We'll see how that goes. If they play, if they can combine what Demko's done this week with what they did in February defensively, and in terms of controlling play, um, maybe they'll have a shot, but they need to do both. Like they need, they're not going to keep winning games like this. They need to, they need to get back on, um, you know, their usual form controlling play a little better. And, and I don't think that's going to happen until Pedersen gets back, to be totally honest, which is why Demko's performance this week was so crucial, right? Like yeah. this saved yeah. them without the, without their most important player. And, um, you know, now with Pedersen back in, if they can graft some of that heft onto, um, you know, and look, Demko's not going to go the rest of the year at 970, but on no Demko being just impossible to buy a goal against, uh, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe this team will, you know, find itself playing something that playing in a game that matters at some point in March. Um, you know, as as is the stated goal. So, so, so you would, <laughs> so you would say that the challenge of making the playoffs is a stiff one for the Vancouver Canucks. Is that what you, would you would you go there? Uh, I would say I would say they're facing something that's pretty hard. Yeah. All right. Uh, this is for Al. I'm, I'm guessing. I'm this guessing. Is, I picked up where you were going. This is for longtime listener Al, uh, who likes our segues, and he was disappointed the other day because we had Blue Chew on the pod, and and he didn't like the seg necessarily. But he, he did tell a story on Twitter that uh, when we had Manscaped as one of our partners, he said he was sitting in the doctor's office waiting room listening to the pod on headphones, 
and burst out laughing at our segue to Manscaped and he said he got kicked out of the doctor's office. So uh, we apologize. <laughs> we apologize for that. Uh, but this episode... Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, Tom, like uh, this stuff just, I mean, hey, it writes itself. Uh, because we, you know that Kevin Woodley, when he was a morning regular uh, on 1040, part of his segment, they had the sound effect. It was the morning wood with Kevin Woodley. He's a guy who's lived his life with that kind of last name. So uh, I can't think of a better way to bring Kevin Woodley onto the Vancast. Uh, Woody, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. God, I listened, I listened to you guys <laughs> on my way into the rink yesterday. I had the Vancast on, of course, as I drove in. And as soon as I heard the blue chew read, I'm like, this is why they wanted me on this week. Like 47, <laughs> it's not because I'm 47, folks. The erectile dysfunction reads into Morning Wood segments are not an age thing. It's purely last name. Um, don't make me go get testimonials on this. But yeah, something about me and erectile dysfunction reads just <laughs> hand in hand. We probably shouldn't make hand in hand. Well, we're engorged to have you on. No, yeah, I mean, look, the reason we wanted to get you on is because Thatcher Demko is standing strong these days uh, in the net for the Vancouver Canucks, and we thought the timing was perfect. Uh, let's jump right in there because uh, he was the second star of the week for the National Hockey League, so some league-wide recognition for uh, a week that saw him shut out the Winnipeg Jets and then followed up with a couple of wins over the Toronto Maple Leafs, and then last night against Montreal, he gives up the one goal, the power play goal early, and that is it, closes the door from that point on, including the three shootout attempts by the Habs. Uh, Thatcher's got himself uh, something good going right now. Yeah, he's, um, you know, and to be honest with you, he's been good for a while. Like, take away the first three starts, or like, the fact he's where he is league-wide, um, despite the way this team started defensively, like, some of the numbers that I had access to through ClearSight, and I think I tweeted this like a couple of weeks ago, as, as I was starting to hear criticism of the goaltending on Twitter and and talk about how the goaltending hasn't been good enough, I, was, I looked it up. And to be honest with you, I was surprised when you adjusted his numbers just how good he was, that he was trending into the top 10 of the National Hockey League, and he's just continued on that path, you know, right now into sort of, he's a, he is by most sort of quote unquote advanced metrics, whether it's even it's the proprietary stuff that I get access to through clear sight or the, the private uh, data that sports logic shared last weekend or the public data, like he's in the top five right now, that's the level he's playing at. And you, know, you can have arguments about the fact that Canucks require top five goaltending to have any success and have for the past couple of years. And what that says about the way the rest of the team is constructed, but they're getting it. Um, they're getting it pretty consistently. And now's, you know, now's the test. Like it's one thing to do it for two weeks. It's another thing to do it for a whole season. And that's why I thought that game against Montreal um, last night was, was so important for him. Like if you watch him and know how he moves and some of the patterns and what he looks like when he's on his game, um, you know, I think they recognized that even in the morning skate, like that wasn't his fastball. And so the ability to win when you don't have your fastball, to understand how to battle through those moments, because you're not, you're not going to feel great when you become a number one and play as often as he, as he is right now. Um, that's a, that's a key learning process for him. 
And so to have the result he did last night um, and for the team to sort of, you know, finally beat Price at the end and actually turn it into an actual result uh, is, is, I think, a big part of it's a big step in the progression, not just a continuation of him playing well, but him being able to play well when he's not necessarily feeling 100 percent. Yeah, I mean, we've seen it for a while now. People have said, it's Demko time. Ride Thatcher Demko. And it looks now like he has emerged as the number one guy here. And, and they've won four or five. And the one loss was Holtby in Winnipeg when he wasn't uh, good. And so they've come back with Demko. And he's been on this little role and obviously provided the kind of goaltending. With a young goalie, though, like how difficult is it to find that sweet spot? Because we saw what Calgary did to Jacob Markstrom earlier this season, where they ground him into dust, and there is that point of diminishing returns. Like, how much work is too much work for a guy where Thatcher Demko is at this point of his career? Back to back in Winnipeg. That would have been too much work. And I think they saw that. And what a lot of people didn't realize. You know, and that's the Holtby start that you referenced that is the, the lone loss in these last five games. And a lot of people are upset that it was Braden Holtby. And I don't know that there's like, I can't give you a concrete answer, Jeff, in terms of sure. like, it's this many games and then he needs a break. It all depends how he's feeling and how he reacts to it. I think they saw that he was worn out. It wasn't just that he didn't play that night against the Winnipeg Jets. They kept him away from the rink. He did not skate. He did not go to the rink at all in the morning. And that's why when he, and again, another big moment, they had a day off when they came back from Winnipeg and then he had that start against Toronto. And that's why I asked him in the post game and he talked about this, like that's the first time he can remember having two days off the ice and then having a start. Those are the things you have to learn to do. How do I find my game? How do I manage my game while also managing my rest? Two days away from the rink, forced away. Do not come to the rink in Winnipeg. Take the day to rest. Day off. Now, what do I do in the morning skate to find it after two days off the ice when, as he said himself, I haven't had that before? This is part of the process. And I think you've got uh, what I like about what they have here is you've, you've got a very strongly opinionated goaltending coach in Ian Clark who is going to voice his opinions strongly. And you've got a coaching staff that listens. And respects that and doesn't just say, hey, man, like we got to win games. Let's run out, you know, let's run out the 24 year old starter in his first year trying to learn to become a number one. And as you said, Jeff, grind him into dust. Let's play the wheels off him because we need to win every game. No, there's a recognition, much like there was with Markstrom. Like, remember when Jacob started to play really well, but they could see his game deteriorating and all of a sudden he'd get a couple days with Clark and they'd start, start Anders Nilsson at a time when Nilsson hadn't won in like this huge long stretch. Like he wasn't playing right. terribly, but he hadn't won. That's the process. They recognized that Markstrom needed to, there were things that were, the wheels were starting to come off and you needed to put them back together and give him rest and give him time. That will be the process here. And you got a coach in Travis Green who respects that. Like that's, that's fantastic because I can tell you it's not that way all around the league. <laughs> and it wasn't that always that way here. Like the goalie coach's voice at times. I mean, we've had head coaches here that, hell, they didn't even consult the goaltending coach on who was going to start. They just made the, their own mind. So to have that as part of this coaching staff synergy, I think is uh, is a lot more important than a lot of people recognize as much as we scream that, you know, Thatcher should have started the second game of Winnipeg. There was a very real reason for it. And you're seeing the payoff now in these last three games. Kevin, let's, I mean, we'll, we'll, We'll focus on Demko for the majority of this interview and for good reason, but let's talk quickly about Braden Holtby. The way the schedule lines up, if you look at three and fours and you look at back-to-backs, um, you know, or even or even three and fives, like 
it's possible we only see him play four or five more times this season if they decide to wear out Demko. Now, as you said, that might not be the process, but what are you expecting from Holtby the rest of the way, and why have we reached this point in terms of this performance? Where is it going wrong for him? Okay, so I, I would guess, you know, top of my head, barring injury, you're probably between five and eight starts the rest of the year. And again, a lot of that will depend on, hey, do we keep running Demko out to the point of diminishing returns? Or is it time where we need to get him out so that we can get him back to playing at 100% versus an 80% Demko? So um, that's the kind of the, the target range I've got in mind, five to eight. Um, in terms of why we got here, there's a little bit of a... There's a little bit of a, a square peg round hole question that I've got about, you know, some of the work. I think a lot of people, including myself, expected. Um, and listen, I would say, like, like I'd own it. I, 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 when they signed him, I was excited about it, not just because there was a relationship there, um, but I saw a lot of potential here for a guy who had had success before, um, maybe refining a couple of things in his game technically for a better foundation and, and being able to get back to maybe not the same level that won Vesna trophies and Stanley Cups, but you know, up near that level under the guidance of Ian Clark. And um, I'm watching Holpe do the work and he is working. And that was one thing you were sure of. Like he wouldn't not do the work, but whether the work he's doing fits becomes the question that I think you have to ask right now. This is a guy who played on instinct and feel and had a lot of, there's a lot of like loose parts to his game for so long, but his, that instinct and that ability to read a game and that natural sort of talent level, I won't even call it skill because skill is something you can refine like post play and how you, how you move. Like those are actually more technical. It was just raw talent. Um, They're trying to add a foundational layer to that and he is caught in between when he gets in the net now. Like, you could see it in the Winnipeg game. Um, you know, I, I think uh, the the Kyle Connor goal is the perfect example. Like, that's a low-high play across the slot line. Very high danger chance. Like, when you start to add the factors that cr- make chances more difficult, there were a lot of them there. Like, um, low-high, lateral. Holby's a guy that's always recovered to his feet on those. So you're expecting him to one-tee that on the back door, so you got to come across on your knees and have that ice sealed and take away the bottom of the net, force him to beat you with a good shot. Well, the problem is, so he does that. Well, the problem is he gets there and Connor dusts it off because there's nobody within six feet of him. Nice job on the PK, by the way. Um, and so as he dusts it off, Holtby's instinct his whole life has been to regain his edges. That's how he plays. He plays from his skates. He's a great skater. That's how he works. And so he starts to get up, and that's where he gets caught in between. Rather than taking everything away and having that seal, he gets up, and as he starts to get up, he opens up. And I think you got to tip your hat to Connor because it's sort of, if you watch his stick blade, he fakes a pass back the other way, opens it up like he's going to go the other way, hope he bites, and then he sweeps it five-hole. Looks terrible. Was a really high-danger chance. And, and just for the record, Drancer, uh, I think you quoted natural stat trick on, on that game as a 2.2 expected goals. CSA had it at 4.3. They gave up nine high-danger chances. So mm-hmm. hope he wasn't great, but he wasn't like double the expected goals in that game. But this is it was a great example to me of the technical things that he seems to be buying into, that he is grinding his ass off in practice with Ian Clark to try and implement. They're nowhere near instinctual. And he is caught between his old instincts and this new foundation. And it's not pretty. I still think there could be a light at the end of this tunnel towards the end of the season. And my God, with that second year on the contract, if you're the Canucks, you better hope there is. 
Um, but right now, like the, yeah, square peg, round hole to come back to it. I, I'm not a hundred percent sure that all these things that he's trying to do necessarily, they should make him a better goaltender. They should make him a more consistent goaltender. Um, but whether they will, um, I guess that's why, you know, a lot of people goaltending is a little hard to predict because I can tell you technically why it should get him to this space faster and square on that puck more often and put him in a better position to react here. Uh, you know, nine times out of 10 and sort of five instead of five times out of 10. But there's a read and instinct and an athletic element to this position. And everybody is different on that sliding scale of goaltending between instinct and technique. And Braden, as he adds these new parts, has yet to find a comfort zone of where he fits on that sliding scale. And at this point, you're kind of like, yeah, I think he'll get there, but I sure wouldn't want to put the mortgage payment betting on it. Yeah. Well, and one reason, I guess, that fans in this market will still hold out some cause for hope, right? Some sense of optimism anyway, is that confidence in Ian Clark is high, right? I mean, that's just that's just the case in this market. He's well regarded by this fan base for the work with Markstrom, obviously for the work with Demko as well. Um, with the Canucks continuing to play hard, right? Like, with their season looking lost by the probabilities, uh, this team's continued to play hard, continued to show effort resilience. And obviously they're now being driven too by a spectacular goaltending performance uh, from Demko. And yet Clark and the rest of the staff are on expiring deals. How complicated do you think that makes things over the balance of the season? And how worried should VanCast listeners and Canucks fans be that we're going to see some turnover in that spot beyond this season. Well, this is a tough one because you got Thatcher Demko going really well right now. And so Ian Clark's not going to come and, and sort of become the headlines here um, and, and take away from all the positive things they've built. Um, So, you know, I will say this on, on based on past experience with him. And obviously like I probably should have thrown this caveat out. Like I got into goaltending as a writer and learned the position from in Clark, his first go around um, with the Vancouver Canucks. He actually used to have a magazine that I worked for. So there's a strong working relationship there. And you almost need to like, especially when I, you praise him as often as I do for his work here, I think it stands on its own, but you know, there's a history there, right? Like I, at one point I was an employee of the company he ran. So, um, you know, in the interest of full disclosure at the same time. So he's not, but right now he's, he's not going to tell me that like, Hey, I'm out of here or whatever. But if you look at his history and the way things ended in Columbus, and if I, again, we talk about placing bets on what happens, you know, with Braden Holpe, um, may not put a mortgage payment on it, but I would, you know, I'd probably lean towards him being done here. Um, if there isn't, and to my knowledge, there isn't, but you never know. If there isn't a deal in place at this point on March 9th, then I'm not sure he's back next year because this is exactly the time of year when he made up his mind in Columbus three years ago that he was out. Matter of fact, I'm pretty sure the house went on the market and was sold right about this time of the year because they had not talked to him about a contract extension in Columbus. And that was just too late in the game. And I can tell you, the roots were a lot deeper in Columbus than they were here because there was a house to sell. Um, so, yeah, it, like it's, it, it is a little bit concerning to me in terms of what that means um, because of the success he's had. Like, I think there is a more than non-zero chance the fact they haven't negotiated with this coaching staff and included him in that process 
uh, as a guy who's you know hasn't been hasn't got a contract for next year, uh, I think there's a chance he walks. Um, I think there's a good chance he walks. But again, not not coming from him, not looking to create a whole bunch of headlines, especially while things are starting to go well here. I just think I'm looking at the history. I'm looking at sort of knowing what happened in Columbus uh, and knowing that when they left it this long, he was out. Um, I, I think there's a really good chance that that and, and this is like this is what you have to understand. Like, this isn't a coach that just wait. Oh my god, I really need an NHL job. Like, uh, you know, if they offer me, I'm staying. Like, he has options, just as he did in Columbus. He left. He left Columbus without another NHL job lined up. Now, full credit for Dan Cluche, uh, who was the director at the time and brought him in here when he was when he was wearing that hat uh, for for having the, you know sort of that foresight and knowing how good Ian was at his job. Um, but when he left Columbus, it wasn't because he had something lined up here. Uh, he has lots of options in terms of coaching, um, whether and lots of different projects that he can work on that will keep him uh, more than fully employed. So uh, I said this, you know, when his last contract was coming up uh, back on, on the weekly 1040 hits uh, with the morning wood. I said this often before this this last extension came that you do not want to let this guy get into the final months of a season without a contract because he will walk. And I, that would be my hunch right now without any inside knowledge in terms of whether those negotiations have taken part. If he hasn't got a contract, uh, I don't expect him back. Oh, just picking myself up off the floor here uh, as we carry on. Like <laughs> That is not news that uh, Canuck fans want to hear. I, I get that there is some time, obviously, but I mean, it's such a long list of people that have walked out the door. And uh, when you look at the work that he's done with Mark Strum and now Demko, uh, man, that just would feel like uh, another blow for this organization. Kev, and I asked Jim Benning about this the other day at his press conference. Like, look, I get that it's way down low on the list of tire fire issues that this hockey club is facing right now. But uh, I'm curious because you're there at practices, you're there at morning skates. The Mike DiPietro situation looking like it could go an entire year and, in fact, 18 months between games for a 21-year-old as a professional. Uh, What kind of work is he doing with Ian Clark uh, in these practice sessions when he's got ice to try to replicate game situations, to try to stay sharp, and ultimately what could this layoff from game action do for his development at this stage of his career? Okay, I'm going to have to take a deep breath here because there there might be some... (laughs) Like, I'm trying to, you know, like... I'm trying not to lose it, um, but what they're doing to Mikey DiPietro right now borders like criminals too strong a word, but it's not far from it. Um, and I know they said, you know, when Jim Benning was asked going into the season, hey, the situation is what it is and we'll make the best of the situation. And certainly um, the work that Mikey is doing with, with Ian Clark has some value. And the fact that Ian is here and he gets that one on one time, like that sort of mitigates the damage that is being done. But make no mistake, having Michael DiPietro not play a game for 18, I had it like 19 months potentially, unless there's an injury here, is a massive, massive negative in terms of his path to the NHL. This is a kid who in his first year pro exceeded all kinds of expectations, took a, a huge step in terms of adjusting his game, doing it on the fly, like his technical game and, and sort of his stance and setup and structure under Ian Clark doing it on the fly in his first year as a pro and had some results that I think, I don't even think people in this market realize how good he was last year. And he did it as a number one goalie as a first year pro. Like that is not a step that a lot of guys take. And I've talked to other organizations that have, um, you know, they have models 
in terms of goaltenders and how they get to the NHL. And the one thing that you can't skip is games played. Some guys get there faster because they play more at younger ages in junior. And maybe Mikey, because of all the, the experience he got in junior, is ahead of that curve. But you don't get to skip this step. Um, I'll quote the great Mitch Korn on this one. And and sometimes I, I, I butcher the quotes. I'll try and do this right. As Mitch has told me many times, beer pong is a game of shots. Goalie is a game of patterns. And the only way to start to put those patterns together and recognize them is to play games. So I've watched the work that he does with Ian Clark. There was one day where Clarkie had to kick him off the ice after two hours and 15 minutes. He was out there for an hour, one-on-one with Ian Clark. Then the starter came out, and as, as, as Ian was watching, I think it was Demko that day, uh, watching Demko through, go through the warm-up at one end, um, Mikey grabbed pucks and set them up at certain, and basically ran his own goalie drills. And then extra shooters started coming out, and Mikey had them run goalie drills, told them where to go, how to shoot, what their options were. Like he basically set up his own goalie school at one end of the ice while they were warming up the other goalie. It was like an optional skate. Um, then the starter goes off. The other goalie, I think, again, I think that was Holtby that day, comes on for a little work with Clark. Again, Mikey's running his own drills. Now the, now the skills coaches are out, but he's setting it up like a goalie session. The other goalie goes off. Mikey... At the end, at 11.15, as the Zambonis are coming out, he set up three pucks in their offensive zone to work on some crease movement patterns and not just out there skating. Like, he's literally setting up his targets visually so that that work matters. It's impressive as all can be. And there is absolutely a benefit to having that time with Ian Clark. And and it it is made all the more positive because of the way Mikey seems to have embraced it. Like, this kid is working his ass off. But to not be able to connect those dots, to figure out those patterns at the pro level, to read the game is just, for 19 months, it's just, it's it's absurd. Like, it's freaking absurd. And the options have been right there. I know I said, well, what do we do? Okay, I, I get it. I get it. You're losing money. Like, there's there's no ticket revenue. You can't move your farm team to Canada like the Calgary Flames did. You didn't have the benefit of having a farm team already in Canada like Ottawa and Montreal and Toronto did. I get it. Claim a freaking guy off waivers and use him as the number three and send Mikey to Utica for crying out loud. Are you kidding me? They got Jake Keeley, who's not really a part of their future. He's watching more than he plays in Utica. Well, the St. Louis Blues run out John Gillies, who's like, he's like your journeyman number three. He's playing most of the games in Utica. You got Arthur Silovs in Winnipeg. What's he played? One game so far? Because he's on a loan agreement. Well, of course, the Manitoba Moose are going to run out Michael Burdan on a week to or game to game basis because he's their future. They're not letting their future rot on a taxi squad. Like it's, abs- it's, uh, I told you, I told you I wouldn't be able to keep myself calm on this one. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I'm sorry. It's ridiculous. I think they know that. I don't actually think it's their fault. I think it's just the cost whether it's a waiver claim or being proactive and actually doing it during free agency of adding a journeyman who's going to make more than Michael DiPietro does on his base level two-way contract on the taxi squad was what prevented this. I think this is purely money saving. And again, that's your prerogative. I get it as ownership. You don't want to spend any more money. There's none coming in. But this kid was on a path to the National Hockey League and you just derailed it by at least a full year and potentially did damage beyond that. If it wasn't for the character 
and the work ethic of this kid, it would probably be even worse. It's a credit to him that it probably won't hold him back as much. But if you don't think it's going to, you know, like prevent him from getting there sooner, then you haven't been paying any attention to what happens in the National Hockey League when it comes to developing goaltenders. It, goaltenders. it is freaking absurd. We got the Woodman fired up there, Tom. Beautiful. Beautiful. You know what, though? You know what, though? In the big picture, it's such an important point because we've touched on the coaching staff in the final years of their deals. We've touched on DiPietro, and it goes on and on down the organization, and it includes Jim Benning, too, by the way. Just a bunch of people put in awful spots uh, this season. Like, it, it, you know, it's such an important thing to focus on that we're at a point in this organization's just overall life cycle where – you know, clever people, not clever people, people who you might otherwise criticize uh, across the board. Like no one's being put in a position to succeed uh, from, you know, DiPietro, Niels Hoaglander playing in a matchup role as a 20 year old on and on. Like it's such a shame. It's cutting off your nose to spite your face. Like you're still going to have a franchise, right? Like the franchise still going to exist next year. You're still going to need a goalie coach, right? You're still going to need prospects that are ready to go like what happens when you have to go into free agency two years from now because that's the year that Mikey DiPietro could have been ready but you just robbed him of 19 months without a game and again pandemic yes money yes but I think it's because the decisions are being driven there are options even with a pandemic to have him playing games not as many as he would have without it but to have him playing games in Utica right now you got a shared affiliate agreement and the Blues sent you John Gillies for crying out loud he would be starting as much as they would. Like, he could just basically, almost every game down there, and instead he's practicing. Like, th- there's just, I'm sorry, there's no way to spin it. And and again, I'm with you. I don't, Jim Benning admitted, it was a great question, Jeff, and he admitted it to you. He needed to play games. Well, I think the question, it sure seems like the question goes above Jim Benning as to why there isn't an option to create a situation where Michael DiPietro can be playing games right now. Uh, Kev, terrific stuff. That's why we wanted to get you on. And it's great that, uh, I mean, the passion just shows through and it has for two decades in this market uh, as you've sort of become the guy to go to. And, and that's why we wanted to get you on. Uh, we want to hear you back in this market. I know that uh, people want to hear insights on the goaltending position. And certainly uh, they can find your work at In Goal Magazine. Uh, you got your own podcast there and, and NHL.com, cover the Canucks as well. Uh, and I have to say, I love when you geek out about, like, when you geek out about goaltending stuff, I know that I should be paying attention because uh, even in something like yesterday with Kerry Price and his setup, he didn't wear it in the game, but uh, you dug the, the all blue look, did you? Oh, a little Patrick Watt tribute. The beauty part of that all blue is make sure you go find photos of it because uh, if you look on the inside of the glove, like the pocket where you catch the puck, it's actually what we call Nash. It's like a tan leather, like right back into the 80s. I haven't I haven't seen that in 10 years. So like a full throwback Watt tribute set. And one, of course, that he would not be allowed to wear if Ian Clark were the goalie coach for the Montreal Canadiens because <laughs> you, you must have white around the outer edges of your pads. Otherwise, it creates a frame. And a frame allows a shooter in a split second to see where your pads end and the net begins. And we wouldn't want to give that shooter even a tenth of a second advantage. These are the these are the minutia and the geeky stuff that I get into. I appreciate you guys letting me share it. Um, let's be honest. There's only so much of uh, this stuff that people can take. So thanks for letting me rant, boys. Uh, I'm glad to hear that it wasn't just about satisfying another erectile dysfunction sponsor, but we actually got to talk some gold. <laughs> straight up. Straight up. The best gold in the good. biz. Yes. Goalie's Ed. Goalie's Ed with uh, with Kevin Woodley. Uh, you're the best, man. Thank you. Thanks, guys.
Kevin Woodley from InGoal Magazine, uh, NHL.com as well. And uh, after that performance, we're going to have to get him back here on the pod, Tom. That was uh, that was that good. So uh, our thanks again Man. to Kevin Woodley. All right. Uh, as we wrap things up here, Tom, and goaltending was the focus, certainly, and goaltending is the reason that the Vancouver Canucks are on this little three-game win streak. They haven't won four in a row. All- oh, no, they did. They did. Sorry, they beat Ottawa three straight and then beat Winnipeg. So uh, they have a chance to match their season high for consecutive victories when they see the Habs again back-to-back Wednesday night, and then the Oilers are in on Saturday to close out the homestand. And we'll see where it goes from here uh, for the Vancouver Canucks. But a couple of things, and you made this point last night on Twitter, and I just wanted to pick up on it, because I think you mentioned it briefly on the pod the other day too, is, you know, and, and Travis Green has sort of been forced into this position. Elias Pettersson out of the lineup, Mark Michaelis is playing, Tyler Mott is out of the lineup, Justin Bailey's out of the lineup, and so that has meant an opportunity at long last for a guy like Jace Howerlock. Look, there's no bottom line with the fourth line, and we can talk about contracts and everything else, but there is an element of speed right now uh, on the fourth line with Howerlock, and he hits the post on that deflection in the third period, like that close to tying the game there. I actually liked a lot of what I saw from the Canucks' fourth line. I haven't said that a lot this season, but the underlying numbers back that up. Like They spent most of the night in the Montreal end. And and that's been true now for a while. Like that's been true going back to that to Jace Howerluck joining that line. Um, you know, like Jace Howerluck came out a junior uh, as this sort of touted player, right? Like he was an early second round yeah. draft pick. But um, you know, I think in the NHL anyway, where he's sort of settled in, and we haven't seen a ton of the agitating stuff, but he can do the get under your skin thing too. And just in terms of his two-way IQ, like, I think it's pretty good. I think it's pretty high. Now, that line's been outscored with Howerluck on the ice, one nothing. But, I mean, they've outshot their opponents 16-9 to with Howerluck on the ice, five on five. Like, he's done more than his job, right? Like, that's all you can really ask for from a guy. And, I mean, I think that matters. Like, I think that matters a lot. And, by the way, I do want also want to note, as this market gets carried away, with shaping lineups that have JT Miller at center, um, you know, over the course of uh, Pedersen's absence, which is now at three games, um, the underlying numbers haven't been great, right? Like there's a reason that he's been playing on the wing and it's not that the Canucks had this wrong for a season and a half. Um, you know, <laughs> the, the fact of the matter remains that the Canucks are, you know, sub 50% by, expected goals and you know they've outshot their opponent by one but when Miller plays with Pedersen as a winger uh the Canucks tend to throttle opponents five on five like that that does matter too like I I thought I think JT Miller's been full value and he's done a really good job but I, I do think he needs to remain on the wing um and I actually think his performance over the past three games while they've helped the Canucks you know hold the fort the club's overall form and, you know, the opportunity cost lost from having a top line that's not, you know, really controlling things uh, needs to be kept in the forefront of this discussion and grounded there uh, because Miller with Pedersen is a totally different beast and is a beast the Canucks are going to need, especially, you know, not just for the balance of this season, if they're going to hope to pull off some kind of miracle run here over the second half, but also in the years to come, uh, you know, the logic of this team demands a, a top, top you know, a dangerous top line. 
and you know, uh, I just don't see how you're getting that if you're going Pedersen, Horvat, Miller down the center of the ice. And, and what is your understanding about Pedersen? Like, I haven't been at uh, any of these morning skates this week, and and I know uh, VanCast superfan Farhan Lalji uh, had tweeted out that Petter- he thought Pedersen skated, and then you said no, that wasn't the case. Like, where is Pedersen in all of this right now? Do we know? Yeah. Uh, well. I- as far as I know, like what I know for sure is that he did not skate yesterday. He didn't skate before uh, before the morning skate. He definitely wasn't on the ice during the morning skate. There was some confusion with people sharing photos of Ole Olevi, who does look like Pedersen from a distance. Like we're at such distance, right? right? Yeah. And they're both like fair. Their build is relatively similar. I mean, Olevi has what ten percent more beef, but it's not easy to see that. Yeah, from, left shots. You know, above yep. the yeah. yeah left shots above the five hundred level. Um, you know, Yolevi was out early doing some work uh, with the goaltenders. Like, that's not an uncommon spot for an injured player to be, right? And and even even the numbers are similar. Like, I spent five minutes looking at Ole Yolevi shoot on Braden Holtby when I first got to the rink through binoculars. And because it, it just took me that long to clearly see that the eight in 48 had a had a strike through it. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Like even the 40, numbers are similar. Sure, yeah. <laughs> like it's so hard to tell. So, you know, I feel for the Montreal journalists that tweeted the photos, like that was not um that was an easy easy mistake to make. Like an easy error. Uh but Holt, uh Pedersen was not on the ice at any point um on Monday and we'll see if he takes part in the optional practice today. I bet he will. Like I I just Six cents, no, not based on any intel. I think he will, um, and we'll see. I, I, I bet they'll get him into the lineup quickly. And, and you know, what's going to be interesting is what they then do to the lineup. Um, you know, I think Roussel stays in because of the PK element. But as we said, like you take out Michaelis or you take out Howerluck, and I think your bottom six gets slower unless you're putting Jake Vertanen back down. But I don't know that performance would suggest that that's the right call, right? Like Vertanen's been on. You know, his best run of games, which often seems to like, I want to note this too. Um, Wasn't this roughly the same time in the season last year that Vertanen got hot? Like early December, late November, early December, like six weeks into the season. Um, That's a good thing in terms of the Canucks' outlook for the next month and a half, two months. But I also think it poses some pretty difficult questions, um, you know, about like, why is this guy a slow starter? especially with his track record uh, in terms of fitness testing and, and showing up to camp, um, you know, are those connected? Like, I think that's a difficult question that, you know, the, the club probably, and, and he probably needs to be asked at some point because, um, you know, that, that seems to be a common thread here, especially in the event that he sustains what we've seen from him over the past week, where he's been just so much more active and involved um, in what this team is doing, uh, really in all facets, both on the power play and at even strength. Yeah, and we saw again against Montreal, as we did in the goal against Toronto, driving wide on the left side. Like, if he never plays right wing in the NHL again, I'd probably be okay with that, because he is—he does seem to be more effective with the net drive on his backhand, pulling the puck across the crease, and we saw that move from him again against the Montreal Canadiens, and I agree. I think these last three games, uh, he's got the promotion, whether it's a showcase, whatever. Uh, he's been noticeable. He has been better. There was a bottom line in the game against the Leafs, and... Uh, it just it does beg the question why it can't happen 
uh, you know, every three or five games instead of every 20 games for Jake Furtanen. But whatever the case, uh, this is where he is and this is where they are. They want Elias Patterson back. I mean, the minute he's good to go, uh, he gets plugged in. And then you're right, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, and the one I'm really curious is whenever Tyler Mott gets back. And I know he's skating again, but I saw Dolly Wall tweet out uh, with a high ankle sprain. It's still going to be a little while uh, yet. But man, when Tyler Mott gets back and can resume some of those penalty killing duties, then I think... Uh, the coaching staff is going to have some decisions to make now. When Tyler Mott gets back, somebody else may be out. I mean, that's just the way pro sports work. So you can't get ahead of yourself with this kind of stuff. But uh, when Mott, whenever that is with Mott, that's where I think things get interesting in the bottom six with some guys that have been every night players, and, and we'll see if that continues. I uh, want to mention other pod options for you here at The Athletic. If you enjoy the bandcast, you may want to check out and sample some of the other podcast options, including Ian Mendez and Sean McIndoe uh, have The Athletic Hockey Show Thursday at The Athletic. And we always mention as well, uh, check out our comment section for each podcast episode here at The Athletic app. Write and subscribe to the Vancast on Apple. And if you're not already a subscriber, go to theathletic.com slash Vancast and receive a subscription for just $3.99 a month. Uh, all right, it's the Canucks and the Habs. It's a chance to make it four in a row uh, to creep closer to the 500 mark, creep, creep a little closer to relevance again in this North Division. Uh, whatever the case, I think this much we know, bring this whole episode full circle, Thatcher Demko's getting the start against Montreal on Wednesday night. Oh, yeah. Thatcher <laughs> Demko's getting every start that he's... As long as he can stand, he's getting the start. And uh, and fair certainly enough, on the homestand here, plan. I think. It, yeah, it, it would just make they get two days off after the Wednesday game before Edmonton's in on Saturday. Hope he will play out on the road again somewhere. But I mean, it's it's Thatcher Demko's crease now, as it should be. Uh yeah, yeah, and and probably for many years to come, right? And that's you know one one sort of subtle takeaway from the Jim Benning avail. Actually, one of the things that we could read the most into that wasn't just sort of. Um, you know, obfuscation or or uh, what what have you was Jim Benning lumping Demko in directly with Pedersen and Hughes, three good young players that we have to sign this summer, right? Uh, listed them together. I think that speaks volumes about where Demko is now at in terms of his centrality to this organization's plans. This is a core piece now. This is the starter. This is Vancouver's guy, and they're going to ride him, and he's going to get paid, but. You want you, <laughs> look. You want that. You know what though? You know what though? Not that bad. Like the, the I. I mean, people are. People, sometimes I get fans who are like, "Why are you so? Why are you so interested in getting Pedersen and Hughes paid?" And it's like, "Cause pay your good players." Like, what are you talking about? Like, that's the right. key. Yes. Um. But but Demko's value will be somewhat restrained by the fact that he hasn't. Like, he's not going to have a hundred games played, right? Like, that's going to restrain his value a little bit. Um. You know, we're we're still talking about. A deal in in the maybe you know high twos, low threes, but we're not talking about a five million dollar guy unless they really go long with him, which you know uh, I mean I don't believe in doing with goalies anyway. Um, so you know we'll we'll sort of see we'll sort of see where this lands, but that's not one that I'm like that's not one that should be keeping the Canucks up at night. No, but there have been enough guys over the years here who have been paid to basically just spin their wheels, like pay your guys that are performing, right? Like the end totally. Of the so that's where they are. Uh, with that your Demko. And we've seen it with the Leafs. They've overpaid their top guys and they still have the flexibility to fill in around them because even if you overpay your top guys by a little bit, they're still your top guys. Like, that's fine. What kills you is 12 million on Erickson, Roussel, and Beagle. Like, that's what kills you. It's not, you know, Pedersen makes a million more than you'd ideally like. Like, that doesn't kill you. You can navigate that. 
Um, that said, obviously, you want to get the best possible outcomes because <laughs> every dollar counts. J-Pat, fun show. Kevin Woodley killed it. He really did. No, left uh, people with uh, a lot to chew on there. So hopefully uh, the VIPs enjoyed that. We'll get Kev back on the show at some point here. I'm uh, going to get Harm on uh, our next edition of the Vancast as well. It's been uh, long overdue to have a visit with uh, the boy Genius. So look forward to that. Uh, we'll do that on Thursday. We'll record again after uh, the Canucks and the Habs wrap up their set. And then uh, you got Edmonton coming in to close out the homestand. So for Kevin Woodley, for Drancer, it's J-Pat as always. Thanks so much for your support and your loyalty to the VanCast uh, here at the Athletic and the uh, Athletic.com.